I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is The Joycast. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Joycast, the hap, hap, happiest half hour of your week. And I want to start off by wishing you a happy new year. Today, I just finished teaching the four services at our church, Capital Church, in Park City in Salt Lake City, Utah. And as I was preparing, God took me in a different direction than I had intended. I felt led to call our people to repentance. And I'll just be honest, I wrestled with God over this. I thought, Lord, it is the first weekend of the new year, and you want me to tell people to repent for the kingdom of God has come near? based in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, I thought, oh, that is a tough message to give. But then I remembered that every major revival in history has all been coupled by two things, repentance and prayer. And it was such a sweet and powerful time. And so I want to challenge you as we kick off 2020, in this new year, What is the one area of your life in which you most want to experience breakthrough? What's that one area where you want to experience freedom? Where's that one area where you have been trying to change and you feel like you have been beating your head against a wall and not making any progress? What if you answered the call of Christ to repent? to literally change your mind, which will change your actions, your behaviors, and your attitudes. It's coupled with a promise, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a year in which God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask for or expect. But the real change, the change you need in your life, The first stepping stone, the doorway, the pathway through, the breakthrough that you are looking for just may come through answering Christ's call to repent. Well, I am so excited to kick off this new year with a conversation with my dear, dear friend, Jenny Allen. I have talked about her so many times before, written about her and my times and my experiences with her. She is the founder and the visioneer of the IF Gathering. Her event is coming up at the beginning of February. I can't wait to be there. And the best part about Jenny is I just don't get to see her at the IF Gathering. I get to share stages and speak with her at events all around the country. And every conversation with Jenny just brings me so much joy. She is delightful and funny and practical and loves anthropology and has the most beautiful family. But she's also one of those people who you just, you don't have time to waste time. She just goes there. And you can say, hey, this is what I'm really struggling with. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm seeing the wins and the triumphs of Jesus in my life. And she is just, She's just a gift. And so I want to share her, Jenny, this gift with you. And I'm super pumped because she has a new book, which you need to stop, drop, and order called Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. And you know already that this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So will you join me in giving a warm welcome to my friend, Jenny?
Jenny Allen, it is such a delight and a joy to have you on the Joycast. Mm, I'm so glad to be here, Margaret. I love time with you, even if it's recording a podcast. <laughs> it is such a joy even getting to see you. I mean, sometimes we are just running at an event full bore. We hug each other in green rooms. We see each other on the road and it is always a delight. I know. I do feel like, Margaret, every time I'm talking to you and I'm doing it right now or that we're together, I'm smiling so big. So <laughs> you you named your podcast the right thing. That is what I feel when I'm with you. So Well, you have been diving deep in a new book that I am so thrilled about. It's called Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. And this is just such, especially to me, this is such a timely issue because I feel like for so many of us, uh, our thought life determines, I mean, it determines everything. But I think one of the things I want to start just as a foundation is where do you think this, this, I feel like our culture, something about the world we're living in, it feels like it's becoming increasingly toxic. Where, why do you think so many people are battling with toxic thoughts? Yeah. Well, i I bet it's not new. And the reason I don't think it's new, even though our culture, I agree with you completely, is I've learned more. You know, I did all the research, um, the neuroscience, all that for this book. But where I still go back to as the primary source of what I know about the mind is the Bible. So when I read Paul, he was seeing that same problem in the people he wrote his letters to. And so there is. This isn't new, but I agree with you. We've never had a noisier generation, and there's never been so many inputs. And so to pause and to kind of analyze what is speaking into my mind and my thoughts on a regular basis, it probably isn't positive. Most of what we are putting in our minds is negative. And so it's not surprising when I did the research, there was, it was evident that 70% of what we think about is negative. 85% of what we think about is repetitive from the day before. So we're thinking negative thoughts on repeat day after day after day. So yes, these toxic patterns have kind of dug dug deeply into our psyche and the way we're thinking. And, And I think what I've noticed is that most of us don't realize the power that we hold over those thoughts, that we don't actually have to have to think this way, that we could interrupt it. And I, I think, I know this sounds crazy, but that's been surprising to people. They they don't realize. And I, of course, I was in that place at some point in my life where I didn't realize I had power over my thoughts. So for the person listening, can you name some of these specific thoughts that, that, are, that are repeating? And I think they have variations uh, that they'll say it one day, one way, but perhaps another way the next day, but it's still the same core idea. What are some examples of those? Yeah. So I would say I divided them into seven different categories in the book, and it was everything from cynical thoughts to anxiety, which of course is rampant in our day. Um, it is, it is sometimes a mental illness and where it's turned chemical, and and that is not something that is easy to interrupt. That oftentimes needs medicine or counseling, and I'm big fans of those and have used those both in my life. So there's, you know, I don't, I don't believe there's any shame in needing that when it is, has turned more chemical, but, but still, even if it isn't for you, I think anxiety can be one that just kind of floats there regularly and constantly. I think insecurity and feeling like you, you don't measure up. I think that is a a huge one that I hear constantly from women 
Um, it can be fears. It could be things like, you know, I'm worried that, you know, for me, when, when I noticed when I, I, you know, the book starts with doing a mind map and noticing at first what your thoughts even are, because if we don't know what our thoughts are, it's really hard to start to try to take them captive if we don't even know what it is we're thinking about. And I think most of us don't even notice what we think about. And so when I did mine, I noticed I had a lot of fear. I just sent Connor to college. I had a lot of fear around his future, his life, his choices. And so somehow, like I I chased that thinking out, which is what you do on this thing. And, you know, I had thoughts of, is he going to make bad decisions? Is he going to date a girl I don't like? And and then somehow, like my ultimate fear was like, he's going to go to prison. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not even real or true, right? Like the, he is a great kid. And I'm not saying that that, that could never happen in our family or to him. Um, because certainly that's many people's reality. But for me in that moment and where his life was, that was not real or true, you know? And I think so many of us have these patterns of thinking that aren't even based in reality. They're not even based with what we're actually dealing with. And I think that's where we've got to start to rein some things in because we are paralyzed in fear, many of us, with things that we can't, um, we can't even justify if we were to say it out loud. And some of these are, are core thoughts. I know you've sat down with therapists. I have. And they talk about some of these that are just, if you boil it all down, it comes down to things like, I am unworthy. I am unlovable. Um, I am unwanted. I, I am evil. Or there's something about me that is evil. That there are kind of these core thoughts. How, which of those uh, kind of stand out to you? Which of those do you hear the most when you're talking to, 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 to the people you're speaking to, that you're writing to? So when I did the research, I found that there were actually three lies that people believe. And I thought that was crazy because I thought, well, wait, no, there's like, you know, hundreds. And what you're saying is right. Like there really are more like three. And so the three that you can learn in psychiatry 101, they'll teach you in class. So they say, is number one, I you've, you've named two of them. I am unlovable. I am worthless. I am helpless. And I think all of us, you know, I, I've fought my friend that is a counselor on this. I was like, no, no, no. There's so many more than that. There's not just three, but she chased down, you know what? Let's take one of your fears right now that you're afraid of. And it was about my son. And at the end of the day, that one was that I felt helpless. You know, I felt helpless to control his future, his life. And so I was like, dang it, you're probably right. Like all of these probably boil down to these things. And and I think the power of that is that we aren't believing millions of lives, right? If, if we could deal with these core issues, and I do believe what you're saying is right, that that each of us have kind of one that we're prone to believe or to, that really came in probably early in life, right? Like, in fact, if you really think about what your core lie is, I am unlovable, I am worthless, I am helpless. If you really think about what that one is for you, you might be able to, once you've identified it, remember a time when you first believed it. And and I can, you know, I can I can look back and and it was it, it was mine was in the realm of I am worthless. Like I didn't have value. I didn't feel seen. I felt invisible. And I can remember when that entered my life. And I was probably around the age of 11 or 12. And it was through a conversation with somebody that I really respect. And and that person led me to believe that I had to do these certain things to have worth. And so 
it just began a, a chase for me of that worth. And I think the the fear is, gosh, if it's been in my brain for so long and if it has haunted me and tormented me for this long, how can it really change? And And I will say what has given me so much hope and I have seen radical, radical change in my life is that one, science tells us it can change. And the reason science tells us that your brain can change is because God built our brain and the Bible tells us our brain can change. So this is, this is true and it's hopeful. And I specifically remember back in college where that I am worthless kind of manifested itself for me at that age was in an eating disorder for years. And I remember wanting so desperately to change the channel where I wasn't thinking about my weight or exercise or or food. And I just, I wanted to change the channel and I didn't know if I could. And that's when for the first time I noticed 2 Corinthians 10. And I remember in my green life application NIV study Bible that I highlighted that in yellow because the take every thought captive part of 2 Corinthians 10, I just thought to myself, this means it's possible. Like I could, I could change, I could turn the channel. And I, I hope that that encourages people. I know that it is a process, especially when we believe something for so long to shift it, but it is absolutely possible. In the book, you write so beautifully, you challenge people, you say, you ask the question, what fear-filled thought is Satan using to suffocate your faith? And then you write, name it, say its name, because in naming it, you identify it, and then you can combat it with the truth of scripture. And I love the way, Jenny, you challenge us time and time again to do that throughout your book. Um, I'm curious about, I know you you talk about some of the, the thought choices that we that we can make, and you identify seven of them in the book, but one that, that stood out to me was this idea of, I choose to be known. And I know for so many of our listeners, that's scary. I mean, that requires vulnerability, that requires risk. What encouragement do you have for the listener out there who's thinking, you know what, I, I know I need to be known, and, and I just, I'm scared to take those first steps. Well, I'll tell you a story. So I, I, this book really, the passion for it began as I walked through a toxic spiral that about took my faith. And I write about it in the first few chapters of where I just, I was in an all out attack, but I didn't even know it. And I was just casually waking up in the middle of the night, every night and thinking thoughts like, is God real? And are we sure this is worth it? Like a worthwhile way to spend our lives. I'm, I'm leaving my kids. You know, I didn't get to go to Kate's prom this year. I'm missing things I want to be present for. And I'm doing that because I really believe God's kingdom is real. And so I just started doubting and wondering and thinking, does it just fade to black? And, and then what a waste, you know, if I've, if I've spent my life for, you know, a pretend God. Well, so this sounds horrible because I'm a Bible teacher. Like this is just, no, I can't even, I still can't even believe it comes out of my mouth. And, and that was over the course of really 18 months where I was fighting these thoughts. And, and the reason I start with this story when I'm thinking of connection was where I went wrong. The fact that, that we have these negative thoughts, there is an enemy to our mind and Jesus calls him a liar, that he is the father of lies, that he doesn't know another language, but lying like he is a liar. And so it's not surprising that he will specifically lie to us about our worth, that he will lie to us about how loved we are, that he will lie to us about um, how you know weak and unable and how little power we, we have, right? So 
So that's not surprising. But for 18 months, I it didn't really cross my mind that that was a spiritual attack, if you can believe that. I literally just sat in it. And it, you know, Kurt Thompson will say sometimes, like, evil loves to not be noticed, or he says something like that. And, and I, that's me. Like, I just sat there and it wasn't noticeable to me. And over time, what happened was it began to erode my confidence. It began to make me complacent about the work that God's given me to do. And so when I said it out loud for the first time, it was, it was, it was like instantly the lights came on. I remember I I said it out loud a few times, but, but the most notable was I was with Anne and Esther in Uganda and, and I had been crying pretty dramatically at the little Devo at the food for the hungry staff office. And Anne, who is so perceptive said, Jenny, it feels like you're crying a little hard. You know, she didn't say it like that. She said it poetically, of course, but she said, it feels like you're really crying hard for this, um, little Devo. And it was because they had read the passage of scripture that I was clinging to with all my might for my faith. And so I told her, I just told her everything. I told her everything I'd been thinking the middle of the night. And she, she looked at me and she was like, Jenny, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. You believe God. I know you. I've watched your faith. You believe God. And it was, it like arrested me of truth. It was like, yes, this is not who I am. I do believe God. I, I, I don't wonder if he's real. I know that he's real. I know what he's seen me through. I, I've seen miracles that are not explainable apart from God. I've seen demonic attack that's not explainable apart from there being a dark cosmic force that opposes God. Like I know God and, and it just, it woke me up and, and the disappointment and the mistake that I made for 18 months was to not say what I was thinking about, to just assume that it was harmless which I think we do constantly, and to not even notice what I was thinking and to not say it out loud. And and because of that, I sat in the dark alone with the devil. And I write in the book, and he could tell me whatever the hell he wanted. And it was, yeah, it was miserable. So Jenny, how do we take him captive? Like, what does that look like in a very practical way? That was my biggest wondering as I started on this project was, one, I realized because I did a lot of research that we have 9,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day, which is a lot of thoughts. And there's a scripture that I have to reconcile with that fact that says that I can take every thought captive. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I'm ADD. My thoughts are, it's hard to even like get them fixed on anything, more or less to to arrest each one of them and to make sure that they're not negative and spiraling and toxic because negative thoughts obviously affect our behavior, our emotions, all of our lives. So this matters. And so I, I, I got to a place where I was like, okay, what if we just took one thought captive? How could that change everything? And that thought that was so clear to me from the beginning of this project was I have a choice. I have a choice that I don't, God has given me a choice. Jesus died. So I would have a choice that I would, Romans 8 says that I am no longer a slave to fear, but I have a choice now of about what I think about. And it has happened. I mean, it happened yesterday morning. I was driving my daughter to school and on the way home, I started thinking about a friend that I have that 
I felt weird around last time I was with them. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if she's upset. And I chased kind of down this rabbit hole of, you know, that relationship. But then it immediately moved to my worth, right? It moved to, I can be so unthoughtful. I am a horrible friend. Like, why do I not, you know, and I just started like beating myself to shreds. And I immediately noticed it because praise God for this project. It has changed the way I think and live. And and I interrupted it. And so what that looked like was literally stopping thinking the thoughts I was having. First, noticing the thoughts I was having. Second, stopping thinking those thoughts and then telling myself, I have a choice. Now that is not to put it under a rug because the next person I see that person, or the next time I see that person, I'm going to look at and make sure that we are good, right? Like I'm not saying you, you, you deny everything bad in your life or you don't think about it. But I am saying in that moment, there was nothing good that could come from me spiraling into that. And so interrupting it and believing I have a choice and resetting my mind on what is true, which is, you know what? I might have disappointed that person. And you know what? I'm okay because I know that one, I live under the grace and mercy of God every single day of my life. And number two, it is, I, I will do what I can to make that right. And if it isn't right, it's okay. Like I can, I can live disappointing people. And so it looks like chasing that thought down, identifying it, interrupting it, and remembering what is true. And, and yes, that sounds like a lot, but in total, because I have practiced and disciplined my mind to do this regularly, in total, that took about 30 seconds tops of that interruption. And, and then I was fine and I moved on with my day. And so you know, sometimes those patterns, like we were talking about with connection, you just need somebody to grab, like you're spiraling down and you need to make a phone call and you just need to say to somebody out loud, like, hey, and I've had to do that many times where I, I feel myself, I can't just interrupt it myself. I need somebody to help me. And God built us for that. He built us for a community. It's why connection matters so much. So, you know, sometimes I can do it myself. Sometimes I need to go to somebody else, but it is possible to interrupt it. Now, that does not answer the question of what about these spirals that have set in our minds for years and years and years. And that many times for me, it was 18 months of doubt. And for many people, it is, it takes more time than just one interruption to stop a negative thought pattern that's been there for a long time. And for me, that was more like a six week process of praying, fasting. Um, pretty in-depth prayer with people. So until I saw kind of a new pattern and a new way of thinking, but it it did change. And I believe, I believe it can change. And we've got to start believing that too, so that we do the work. You know, I love what you say, because essentially what you're saying is you are empowering people. You're saying you are not a victim of your yes. thoughts. You are not, you don't have yes. to be run over by this bus over and over again and then feel it back over you and do it again. Like you can stand up and say no. And it starts with, first of all, identifying what is that negative thought? What is that feeling of being unlovable, unworthy, uh, helpless, uh, whatever that may be, identifying it, paying attention to it, and then seeking and replacing that negative thought with the truth of who you are and who you are in Christ and who you are as a healthy version of yourself. Is that is that kind of what you're describing? Yes. Yes. I I believe there is so you know for me in that season of doubt when I was spinning there is power in memorizing scripture because for me in the middle of the night a lot of that time I was just reciting what I knew. I would literally just what did I what did I know to be true? 
and I was pulling from scripture memory that, I mean, it may have even, some of it come from Awanas when I was a kid, you know, I, I learned a lot of scripture then and NIV 1984. <laughs> and I know that because that's what I write in. Like when I'm writing scripture, it comes to mind in NIV 1984 because my editors tell me so. Um, but but I think knowing scripture is something that is an anchor. It is something that pulls us out of spirals. It has the power to do that. Second Corinthians 10 talks about that we don't fight spirit with fleshly weapons. We fight spirit with spiritual weapons, divine weapons that we've been given that have the power to destroy strongholds. And those strongholds for a lot of us are rooted in years and years and decades possibly of negative lies that we believed. And yet God is clear. We have power, weapons from him that are spiritual weapons that can defeat spirit. But I think what we've done, Margaret, is we've treated these thoughts like they're just random in the air thoughts rather than there is an enemy. He hates us and he is a liar by definition. Jesus defined him as a liar. That's who he is. That's what he does. It's how he speaks. And we've all been listening to him and we've sat under it and we've believed it. And honestly, we don't even need the noise of our generation. You know, there's enough just in our head about our worth and our our futures and our hope and our God, like there's enough. It says in Second Corinthians that we destroy arguments that are lifted up against the knowledge of God and any opinion that is against God, we tear it down, we fight it. And I think that idea of war language that Paul uses in Second Corinthians 10, it is, it changed the way I wrote this book because no longer was it this passive idea of, hey, rein in that little negative thought. You know, you feel bad about yourself. Let's not feel bad about ourselves. No, this was very different. This was war. And the enemy was after us and he wanted us to believe lies. And we barely even notice that we're totally buying in and shutting down. The imagery that comes to mind as you talk is kind of a tree that because of heavy wind in one direction has become bent over. And what you are saying and what I hear you saying is that these trees like us, we have become bent over by these negative thought spirals, by these these lies of the enemy. And you are saying, but wait, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be made right again. Just because we have been leaning into these thoughts does not mean we have to do it for one day more. Well, and gosh, Margaret, you were such a picture of this. I mean, I remember sitting across from you in the middle of chemo and you are smiling, of course, because that's who you are, and and talking about what God's teaching you. You you literally wrote the book on it. Like you chose joy in that season that was palpable. And and I think that's possible. And you've tasted it on a huge scale. Like you've tasted it when you shouldn't be smiling, when there shouldn't be hope. And yet I know, I mean, I, I would love to even just hear about your mind in that season. Like, what did that look like to fight for that joy specifically in your mind? Yeah, it was a decision. It was choosing joy as weaponry and saying, you know, I'm probably not going to win the whole battle today, but I can take a single square inch. And maybe, and, and being creative and sensitive, I think, to the power of the Holy Spirit of what that looks like. Um, because I think in your book, you're constantly leaning to this idea of this is not something you have to just do on your own. But the Holy Spirit is alive and awake and vibrant in you fighting on your behalf. That's right. And I felt that. But yet, I think what we can do is limit that and squelch that when we live in isolation 
and when we don't notice the war that we're in. And so that's what I get excited about is that people would wake up and go, oh my gosh, kind of like I did after 18 months of sitting in the dark with the devil telling me like, I'm not sure God's real. And it, it brought about a tremendous fear of death in me. It was, it had a lot of pretty drastic consequences at that time in my life. And yet it had happened really slowly and steadily where I didn't notice. And so I hope that this like arrests people and wakes them up and says, hey, I have been believing things that aren't true and I don't have to. I mean, I think that initial thought that, hey, I don't have to think this way anymore is so hope-filled because even though it's not easy to change our patterns, it is possible. And I think we forget that. So you're right. It's that idea that victimhood is not our stance as a believer in Christ, that we have been equipped with every good thing that we need for life and godliness. and that he is fighting for us. You're right. He is in us and with us and fighting for us. And so for those of you, you've got to get a copy of this book, get out of your head and learn to make some of these choices to choose to be still with God, to choose to be known, to choose to surrender your fears to God, to choose to delight in God, to serve God and others, to be grateful and to seek the good of others. Jenny, I am so pumped about your next your next book. Now, one of the questions that we always ask with guests of the Joycast is to share a recipe or something they love to cook. What is something that our listeners could make that sometimes is served up in your kitchen or dining room? So my favorite thing these days is taco soup Ooh. and cornbread. It's super simple, but every time I cook it for people, they ask me for the recipe. So I'm going to have to go with that today. I love it. And you can go to margaretfeinberg.com uh, forward slash joycast and find the recipe for that on our site. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Loved it. Thank you, Margaret, for having me. Did you know I have some incredible free gift just for you? Some of you know that in Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers, both the book and the Bible study, I took a culinary journey through the Bible. I descended 410 feet into a salt mine, plucked figs in California, baked bread at Yale University, brought in an olive harvest in Croatia, and graduated from a Steakology 101 course from a butcher who calls himself the Meat Apostle. With each person, I asked, how do you read these passages, not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day? And their answers changed the way I read the Bible forever and the way I approach every meal. Now, if you have purchased either the book or the Bible study for Taste and See, you can claim your incredible free gifts at tasteandseebook.com. These include memorable meal conversation starters, which will remove the awkward from every table you find yourself at. Beautiful recipe cards, fresh recipes, and more. Again, go to tasteandseebook.com, and if for some reason you don't have your receipt number, simply enter the word JOYCAST instead, and we'll get those downloadable gifts sent to you.